Hello, welcome back to the Black Valor Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie and Parks. We were talking last week about the 761st Tank Battalion. Well, this week we're going to talk about one of the individuals who was a member of the Tank Battalion but didn't quite make it overseas for reasons that you'll soon find out. Just to start, again, you can find us at www.blackvalor.net. Also, please send me an email at blackvalor1010 at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at blackvalor1010 and Facebook blackvalornet. So today we are talking about John Roosevelt Jackie Robinson. Many of you have heard of him and his exploits on the baseball pitch, but some don't know that he was actually in the army during World War II. Jackie Robinson was born January 31st 1919 in Cairo, Georgia. Uh, he had come from a family of sharecroppers. His mother raised him and his other siblings. There were four siblings altogether, and they were the only blacks that lived at the end of their street there. Once he finished school, he attended the University of California at Los Angeles, and he lettered in football, baseball, track, and basketball. So he was the first person there who had lettered in four sports. And believe it or not, many people actually believe that baseball was his fourth best sport. In 1941, he was actually named to the All-American football team. Some would say that he was better at football than baseball and those other sports. Now, due to financial difficulties, though, he was forced to leave college, and eventually he decided to enlist in the U.S. Army. A short time after Robinson joined the Army, he was promoted to corporal. And part of his future success was related to a chance encounter with Joe Lewis. Robinson and a few other blacks in uniform had talked to Lewis about the fact that there were no blacks being picked up for officer candidate school or OCS. Joe Lewis quietly talked to Truman Gibson, the Secretary of War's civilian aide, who happened to be black himself. And he asked them to investigate why blacks were disproportionately excluded from OCS. After they did an investigation, they did find that blacks were being excluded and they went about rectifying the situation. And Robinson was one of those first few blacks who got the opportunity to go to OCS on April 3rd, 1942. Following that, he was stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas. At Kansas, he had a bit of a run-in with his uh, commander there. It started out when Robinson was asked to play on the base football team, but the Fort Leonard Wood team refused to play against him, and the coach sat him down. Well, they lost. He told the coach, I will not play any more games unless you assure me this incident will never happen again in future games. The coach said he could not promise that to Robinson, so Robinson refused to play. Well, the base commander told him that he could either play ball or he would be transferred. So, this is how Jackie Robinson got sent to the 761st at Camp Hood, Texas. Shortly after his arrival, he was commended by Colonel Bates, who was a commander of the uh, 761st at that time, for his unit having the best record, and he was appointed as the unit's morale officer because of his good rapport with the men. So he was just a natural at leadership and getting the men to do things without uh, being heavy-handed. On 
6 July 1944, Robinson went to take a bus to the base hospital and he had to pass a small town called Belton. And just for a little bit of background here, he had suffered some pretty serious injuries with his ankle uh, playing baseball and football during his college years. Effectively, this prevented him from actually serving in the military, but he had to have a waiver. Colonel Bates really wanted him to stay with the 761st as they proceeded through their training and hopefully went overseas, but this was going to be an issue. So Robinson decided to go along with Colonel Bates to try and get his knee fixed, or excuse me, his uh, ankle fixed. So this is why he was in the hospital. So he had went to the base officers club to cash a check, and then he was on his way back to the hospital. On the bus, he sat next to Virginia Jones, and she was a fellow officer's wife who was fair enough to pass as white. After a few stops, some of the civilians complained that there was a black man sitting next to a white woman, and the bus driver told Robinson that he had to move to the back of the bus. Robinson just replied to him, I'm comfortable where I am. This occurred a few days after he was already barred from entering the officer's club on base. So he was a little upset at the racism that he was experiencing down there. Uh, after being threatened by the driver, Robinson stood up and it said he towered over the driver. His head almost touched the top of the ceiling of the bus. And he remarked, do what you have to do, but you have a choice of either driving the bus or I'll drive it for you. Or he said, go on and drive the bus. There were some conflicting reports there as often happens in these situations. But either way, he decided that he wasn't going to take it anymore. In June, in Durham, North Carolina, a black soldier had been shot and killed by a white bus driver when he refused to move to the back of a bus. The driver was acquitted of all charges by an all-white civilian jury. So there was precedent for this. Ironically, the Army issued War Order 97 two days after Robinson was arrested. And this barred segregation on any vehicle operating on an army post, but it did not publicize the, ar the order widely. So these bus issues were a problem, as I mentioned on the podcast two weeks ago for the 761st. We had troops who were being harassed on these buses by the civilians, the drivers, and the, the soldiers. And the army knew about it. It was a powder keg. Back to Jackie Robinson. Two white enlisted MPs came aboard the bus to arrest him, and he refused since, as a privilege of his rank, an officer cannot be arrested by an enlisted person. But on pretty much every account I read, they said that the two enlisted MPs did treat Robinson with proper courtesy, and they were only doing their duty. So these initial MPs that came were not being disrespectful to him because of his color. So Robinson went with the MPs to police headquarters and when the car arrived, a white MP stuck his head in the car and asked if they had the nigger lieutenant with them. This just set him off. He had had enough and he told them if anyone else used that word, he would break them in two regardless of their rank. So this started setting up the proceedings for what would lead to his court-martial, more so than the bus incident. He was introduced to uh, Captain Gerald Bear, who was the assistant provost marshal for the base, he charged Robinson with violating the 63rd and 64th Articles of War. Article 63 is disrespect toward a superior officer. 
and Article 64 is assaulting or willfully disobeying a superior. Beer just really took offense at Robinson's attitude. Some reports say that when he went to salute, he just kind of lazily put his hand up and said, yes, sir, no, sir, really affecting a kind of southern draw accent as he was talking to him. Beer took this as being disrespectful. So understanding that he would not get a fair trial based on the racial motivations behind the case, Robinson and others contacted the NAACP and the black press, namely the Pittsburgh Courier and the Chicago Defender, to ensure that at least the public was aware of the trial and its proceedings. There were lots of precedents of these things not going the way they should for blacks just because the whole court system was favoring whites. They would not have a say or have any representation. It wasn't though as if everyone involved in this circumstance was racist. In fact, most of the people were not and would have liked for the whole situation to just disappear. But because of those actions of uh, the captain and the initial MP, it couldn't go any other way. So Colonel Kimball, he was Fort Hood's commander, uh, he had actually sought permission from Colonel Bowie, who was the uh, 23rd Headquarters Chief of Staff, and they were over at Brownwood, Texas, but they had jurisdiction over Fort Hood. And they asked him to intervene because he felt any officer at his installation would be prejudiced and there wouldn't be a fair trial. Sure, this was partially because they recognized that race was an issue, but also they knew it would be a powder keg after the newspapers and the NAACP had been involved. His exact words were, they knew that the trial proceedings would be full of dynamite. And that was a phrase he used, full of dynamite. Robinson was transferred to the 758th Tank Battalion as the 761st was preparing to leave for the final training they needed before the unit went overseas. It was kind of sad because Colonel Bates really wanted Robinson to go with him. Now with him being assigned to another unit in the trial, there was no way for him to keep up with the 761st. The trial began on August 2nd with a panel of nine officers selected to decide the case. Army prosecutors had revised the charges against Robinson just prior to the trial to try and ignore the initial bus incident and downplay what was the instigating factor for this whole incident. From their view, they wanted to focus on his responses, that's Robinson's responses, to Captain Gerald Beer, Assistant Provost Marshal, and focus on the fact that he was being disrespectful and not following orders of Captain Beer. Robinson did not secure someone to represent him, a lawyer of his own, probably because he didn't have the money. Uh, people from the NAACP and others had strongly urged him to hire a civilian attorney for him for his defense. But he decided to go with what the Army provided him, which turned out to be good in his case. A Captain William A. Klein, a fellow Texan, not of him but for the people there, was selected to represent Robinson. Captain Klein first called Colonel Bates to the stand and he repeatedly referred to Robinson as an excellent soldier and leader whom he wanted to take overseas with the 761st. They understood that they were going to war regardless of what happened. They were preparing for war whether they would get the chance or not based on their uh, being a black unit. Colonel Bates gave him a solid recommendation as an excellent soldier. 
Captain Klein, for his part, continually poked holes in the stories of the prosecution witnesses. In particular, he tricked Private Ben Muckleworth into acknowledging he called Robinson a nigger after he de denied the accusation. Even though another MP had verified that he had used the epitaph, he just didn't prove to have the wits to outsmart the uh, defendant. Also, Klein attacked the character and clarity of orders Captain Bear gave, eventually getting Bear to confess that he did, not, he did not know if he gave Robinson direct orders or not. Captain Bear's defense boiled down to Robinson acting uppity, which is not against Army regulations. After a brief deliberation, Robinson was acquitted of all charges. The trial did sour Robinson on the military, even though he was willing to sign a waiver previously for his past injuries to serve, he now requested to be released from service, so the army had placed him in a limited duty status, and this was pending the review of his records, because again, Colonel Bates was trying to get those things waived so that he can join them overseas. Now Robinson actively went out of his way to express that he was no good to the army and they would be better off just letting him return to civilian life. The army did agree. So in November they discharged Robinson which paved the way for him to later break the color barrier in American baseball. It would have been interesting if this one bus ride hadn't occurred how things would have shaped up historically. The 761st saw heavy action overseas and if he was with them it is possible he may not have been able to return and then who would have been the person to break the color barrier. Something to think about. It was bad event but there were some rays of light in that. He was defended honorably by a white officer and there were white officers trying for various reasons to help get him off. I have a few documents and things that you can take a look at on the website. Many of them are from the National Archives. There's a copy of the testimony that Robinson signed, the formal testimony on the charges. There's a transcript of the Fort Hood commander sending the communications to the headquarters. A letter from Robinson to his commander describing what, the, what events occurred in his own language prior to the main court-martial proceedings. There's page from the actual court-martial charges and his retirement paperwork. So my sources for this are Jim Crow Meet Lieutenant Robinson, a 1944 court-martial. That's the NARA Prologue, Spring 2008, Volume 1. And you can find the link to that document or article on the webpage. Brothers in Arms, The Epic Story of the 761st Tank Battalion by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Patton's Panthers, The African-American 761st Tank Battalion in World War II. Come Out Fighting, which I mentioned last week. And there's also some other links to things that you can look at. There was a movie in 1990 titled The Court Martial of Jackie Robinson. It was starring Andre Brower, which is pretty good. So you can find that on Amazon or any other places. Uh, still some in the stores out there. So that's the podcast for this week. And as I said before, next week we are going, or next two weeks, excuse me, we're going to look at the 761st heading overseas. Thank you. 
please leave your comments on uh, iTunes or on the website www.blackvalor.net. You can send email to blackvalor1010 at gmail.com and I'll see you in two weeks.